Every 10 years, the National Marriage Project publishes a report called the State of Our Unions. Usually it follows a, a census. The last report came out in 2012, and of particular interest for our topic today was the, uh, the cohabitation rate. Unmarried people living together, you know, like they're married. Now, seven and a half million cohabitating couples in our country. And what's amazing about it is it's up 100% from 10 years earlier in the 2002 study. It's up 100%. Now, in the 2002 study, uh, it, it was um, on such an incline that the National Marriage Project wanted to know, why are guys so uh, not wanting to commit to marriage? Why are so many young people choosing cohabitation, uh, either in replacement to marriage or sort of as an interlude or a prelude to marriage? And so they, they asked, guys, why, uh, why aren't you willing to commit right now? And here are the top 10 reasons given. I'm sure uh, all the single ladies are very interested. Here we go. <laughs> 10 reasons men won't commit. Number one, they can get sex without marriage more easily than in times past. Number two, they can enjoy the benefits of having a wife by cohabitating rather than marrying. Number three, they want to avoid divorce and its financial risks. Number four, they want to wait until they're older to have children. Five, they fear that marriage will require too many changes and compromises. Number six, they are waiting for the perfect soulmate. She has not yet appeared. Seven, they face few social pressures to marry. Uh, that's not the case here in church. Pressure, pressure, pressure. <laughs> no, not that you have to get married, but... But don't go cohabitating. That's, that's what I mean. All right. Number eight. They are reluctant to marry a woman who already has children. Nine, they want to own a house before they get a wife. Ten, they want to enjoy single life as long as they can. Forty-four percent of the guys, and so the guys are aged 20 to 29 that they interviewed for this. Forty-four percent of them said, you know what, I would never... Uh, marry a woman until I first lived with her. I have to kind of try out the relationship uh, to see if she's compatible, to see if she's my soulmate. And they were curious, uh, the, the researchers were curious, so they asked follow-up questions. What do you mean by a soulmate? And here's what the guy said, a, a woman who doesn't feel the need to change me. Uh, I'm looking for uh, a woman who's going to join me as I go through life my way, right? Uh, I want her to kind of, you know, come live with me. And does she just l think I'm awesome and think that the way I'm doing life is great and she just wants to join me as I go through life because that's, that, then I'll know she's my soulmate. That's what I mean by compatible. I don't want to have to change that much. And so if we live together and then I start you know, experiencing pressure and uh, need to change and accommodate, well, you know, obviously she's not my soulmate. Uh, 25, it is, uh, the study said it's estimated that uh, a quarter of all women between the ages of 25 and, and 39 are currently in a cohabitating relationship, and another 25% uh, 
have uh, had that in the past. And so, you know, at some point or another, half of all women will cohabitate, and the percent of guys is even higher than that. We, <clears throat> well, let me, let me focus in on five and six. I'm, I'm afraid marriage will require too many changes and compromises. I'm looking for the perfect soulmate. She has not yet appeared. Marriage will require change. It does require compromise. Uh, if you want to experience oneness the way God intends it, if you want a, a godly marriage, you're going to have to change. You're going to have to uh, create space in your life to accommodate another person uh, with his or her own ambitions, will, uh, be, uh, values, behaviors, ways of doing things. Uh, and so this idea that, you know, I just, I'm living my life, and if, if somebody wants to join me as I go through life, well, that's unrealistic, and it won't get you to true oneness. If you want to honor God, can I just be very, very clear? Cohabitating is not a, um, a God-honoring way to choose a spouse. Now, a lot of the world will tell you you're crazy to get married until you've lived together because you want to test the relationship out and see if, in fact, you are compatible. And God does not, God says cohabitating is not uh, necessary or even an allowed way to um, test out a spouse. What? How do I know if she's right? How do I know if he's right? It's all about character, and it's all about committing to a person. Listen. If Sabrina and I had cohabitated, if, if we had not been Christians, there's no way we'd be married. Uh, I'm absolutely convinced. <laughs> it's true. She, she, she was miserable year one, and it had nothing to do with me. No. <laughs> she, you know, she, I'm a, I, I absolutely believe this. She would, if she were asking, are we compatible, she would have concluded... Huh, we are very, very different people, and we drive each other crazy. And this is, I'm sorry, Mike, you're a nice guy, but uh, obviously we're not meant to be together. And we would have missed out on, on the marriage that God uh, had for us, which is awesome. But it required a whole lot of change. As Christians, the fact is we, we understand that we need to change. We all still need to change. You're not yet fully like Jesus. Uh, you've still got sinful ways of thinking and behaving. You've got inappropriate values. And, and uh, those things need to change. And, and part of the mission of marriage is to help press each other toward greater Christ-likeness. You know, Bible says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's a process, right? We call it the sanctification process. Uh, and so this, as a Christian, this idea that, you know, I am just great, and I just need, a, 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 you know, a woman or a man to come into my life and recognize how great I am and not try to push me to change, uh, you know, that's, that's not even biblical. It doesn't jive with basic Christian understanding of who we are, that we are in process, that we need to change. 
uh, and that our life is better as we do. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, and I've mentioned before that Ephesians 5 is kind of the primary New Testament chapter on marriage. We read this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Uh, the mission of marriage is to help each other become more Christ-like. Uh, the love of Christ makes us better, makes us shine without spot or blemish or uh, in all our splendor. And so when we stand before Christ someday at the judgment seat, if you're married, what you want to hear Christ say is when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, in part, what, he, what you want him to say is, you know what, uh, because of the way you loved your wife, she's a better person. She's more Christ-like because of your influence. The way you loved your husband, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, he's a better man because of you. You pressed him to be more like Jesus. I cannot um, think of Sabrina without thinking of the uh, positive impact she's had on my life. Uh, how she has made me, uh, sometimes kicking and screaming, uh, more like Jesus. And part of, uh, m part of my love for her and appreciation for her, a large part of it, uh, is rooted in that. This, whether you're single or married, here's a principle that is, applies to all of us. It's this, best friends press us to be better. Uh, best friends press us to be better. Uh, best friends are not always just a shoulder to cry on, and they don't always take our side and applaud everything we ever do and think and say, right? Best friends sometimes say, that's ridiculous, or you're wrong, or, you know, I don't think you're seeing the whole side of the story here. Best friends, the Bible says, even sometimes wound us, Proverbs 27, 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Verse 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Hebrews 3, verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, we have a tendency to have our hearts become hardened and to buy into the lies of sin. And we need friends who help expose that uh, in our lives and call us to live in the truth. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, so you, we need to be seeking out friends who will uh, speak the truth to us in love, friends who won't always applaud our behavior or our thinking, 
reasoning, but will oppress us to be more like Christ. Those are the kind of friends we need to look for. We need to invite them into our lives. We need to open our, uh, ourselves to them. Those are the kind of friends you want to treasure. And you know what? Your sp- if you're married, your spouse is to be your very best friend. And this is one of the, uh, one of the duties uh, of a husband or a wife is to, is to help press uh, to be better, to be more like Christ. Now, it's not always uh, comfortable, and it's not always easing. And so, unfortunately, um, husbands and wives can sometimes say, you know what, uh, let's, just, let's just agree. I won't press you. You don't press me. I won't point out anything that needs to change in your life if you don't pre- point out anything that needs to change in my life. And so, you know, let's just, let's just be at peace and, and, and not, you know, bother each other. Well, the problem is, you forfeit, if you do that, you forfeit a very important uh, part of friendship. is helping each other become better. When I got married, I, got, I was uh, 25, almost 26 when I got married. And when I got married, I was very well put together. I was pretty awesome. I had graduated from college. I'd been a missionary in Russia for a year. I was in seminary. I was super spiritual. And I was very healthy, and I was emotionally mature. I was pretty awesome. Then I got married, and I I could not believe how selfish I was and how insecure I was and how prone to employing ungodly mechanisms in order to get what I really, really wanted. And, and so what's the temptation? The temptation is to say, Sabrina's a problem in my life. I was not like this apart from her. But uh, Tim Keller, he, uses, he gives a great illustration. He says, uh, think of yourself like a bridge. And if you look at the bridge, uh, you look great. You look so strong and well put together. But the fact is you've got little fissures and, and structural weaknesses in your bridge but no one sees it you might not even be aware of it until the big truck drives over you and that's your spouse <laughs> so this is a picture 2011 a bridge in china you know concrete bridge looks so strong but it went down when the dump truck drove over it and uh, keller's point is your your spouse is not the problem Your spouse didn't make you angry. Your spouse doesn't make you selfish. Your spouse doesn't make you uh, uh, ungodly or insecure. It's always you. That's been you. It was just hidden, and it might be even hidden from you, and it can be quite startling. And it was for me. It really was uh, shocking to me. Uh, But so what do we do? Uh, Tendency is uh, to say, "You're, you're the problem. If I didn't have you in my life, I would not be feeling this way or acting this way. You're the problem. Or you can say, wow, I've got, you know, there, there's work that needs to happen in my life. God, you've got to help me change. I, I, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of this. Please, I don't know how to, I don't know how to calm down. I don't know how to not be insecure and selfish and please change me, please change me. And those are good. God will answer those prayers. And then, you know, as, as the Holy Spirit within you shores up uh, some of the flaws, 
your bridge becomes stronger and the same amount of pressure doesn't uh, crash the bridge. Uh, your spouse is not the problem. You're the problem. And it's just all marriage does is reveal the parts of our lives that are not yet fully formed and in the image of Christ. But God's, uh, God likes putting this pressure on us, doesn't he? And friends can do this, family members can do this, uh, but certainly uh, this is one of the, one of the roles of a, of a spouse is to put pressure and, um, and reveal areas in our lives that need to transform. And then we're to press into that in the power of Christ and change, and it's a beautiful thing. Now, there's a very uh, particular way to go about this. And it's uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 spells it out. A lot of unhealthy ways to press your spouse to change that don't produce good things, don't produce oneness, don't actually even produce change, they just produce hurt. But here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. How do we press somebody toward greater Christ-likeness? By speaking the truth in love. Uh, two sides to that equation. Speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. They've got to be wedded together. Warren Wiersbe says, truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. We've got to hold them together. Speak the truth in love. So speak the truth. Don't, um, you can't assume, your spouse has blind spots. That's the reality. We all have blind spots. You can't assume that they know that what they're doing and saying is inappropriate, is wrong, is sinful. Uh, and so sometimes we need to, uh, not every time, we, we uh, are, use a lot of wisdom about it. But if you notice a pattern, you need to address that. Speak the truth. Confront your spouse. But you do it in love. Because apart from love, it's brutality. And so what's love? What love means, you know that the, the reason you're confronting your spouse is because you truly want them to win. You know that, that the reason I'm pointing this out in your life is because I want you to be better. I want you to be healthy. I want you to win. I want us to win. Uh, and so usually there's a delay. Because very often, very often our spouse's weaknesses, our spouse's sins directly impact our lives, right? They, and, and we're being hurt by it. We're being offended by it. We're being, um, yeah. And so it's very tempting to speak the truth because I want my pound of flesh, right? You're hurting me. I'm, I'm being negatively impacted and I'm going to fire back. And I'm going to let you know how poor of a person you are and how much you're failing and how God must be so angry with you because I'm angry with you, right? Uh, and so, but that's not spoken in love and all that will create is resentment and hurt and um, people resist that. So oftentimes there's a delay between their behavior and your uh, uh, challenge to them. But when you get yourself to a place where you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go confront them about this or her about this because I'm angry and because I'm trying to, you know, hurt them. But truly because I want them to win. 
Um, then you bring it to them and you point it, point it out. And God can use that uh, in, in your spouse's life or your friend's life. You know, this is a principle that applies to just relationships. God can use that to, uh, to um, catalyze positive change that makes them a better person. I want to share a story. Uh, Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, great book, he shares a story, uh, Rob and Jessica. Rob, he had had very few friends growing up. When he was in fourth grade, a, a counselor of the school told his parents, I think your kid's a mild sociopath. Uh, your child doesn't seem to have any ability to empathize with other kids and doesn't seem to, to be able to recognize how his words and his actions are going to impact other people. And so all his life, he, he tended, his humor would tend to get a little bit too uh, harsh, his words a little too aggressive and point, pointed, and so he ran people off. Uh, when he first started working, a number of his supervisors and uh, employees were just incensed at his behavior. He, he lost a job over it. But he meets Jessica, and on their second date, they are in the, they're experiencing the in-love feeling. And he, you know, he's on his best behavior, but he says a few things, you know, jokes a little crudely and says a few things that are, uh, you know, a little, little hurtful. But she just sort of tells him off, blows it off. And he's like, this, I love this lady. She's great. She's, you know, not a shrinking violet. She can stand up to me. She doesn't seem to be put off by me. They get married. But, you know, as he uh, lives with her and becomes more familiar with her, you know, who he really is comes out in all of its uh, whatever comes out. And she, she becomes quickly disillusioned. And she starts, you know, his, his humor and his pointed comments begin to be quite hurtful. She watches the way he interacts with other people, realizes, oh, my goodness, this is good. I, I'm caught up in this. Our social world is going to shrink. He, he's not going to be able to make friends. And within a year, she's fantasizing about being single and freed from him. They're Christians. They're going to church. And so uh, when Rob realizes how unhappy his new wife is, he's like, ah, what do we have to do? So they went and saw their pastor, and they met a few times. And something dawned on both of them. Uh, in particular, Jessica, she realized, you know what? Uh, I am exactly the person Rob needs to help him change. And let me read uh, from the story. She was a strong woman who was not fragile. She was exactly the person who could stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with Rob and say, that hurt me. I'm going to tell you exactly how it felt until you learn what your words do to people. I'm not going to clam up on you and just withdraw. I'm not going to attack you back. I'm going to be like Jesus has been with us, accepting us in love, but not allowing us to just destroy ourselves with sin. Rob had never had anyone love him like this. People had either just given up and withdrawn from him or had simply attacked him. So here was someone who calmly but candidly described the devastating effects of his words. And most transforming of all was the fact that the person who was telling him about his hurtfulness was the person he loved most in the world. The more Jessica loved him so nobly and well, 
the less he wanted to see her hurt. And slowly but surely, Rob began to listen, learn, and change. You know, the person, your spouse is the person who knows you best. And so we tend to believe what they say about us the most. If somebody else tells me, you know, uh, Mike, you're, you're a kind, generous person. I'm, thank you, that's great. But if Sabrina tells me that, I'm like, say that again. What was that? You I couldn't hear that, right? That means something. Why? Because she, she sees me at my worst. She knows me intimately. And so uh, God has given spouses a, a power to build up and to speak truth in love. And, and that's, a, that's a power that can be wielded for great, great good. But it also can be wielded very poorly, and, and you can harm. And so uh, if you're married, you've got to be very, very careful how you use, use your words because they can devastate or it can build up your spouse. Tim Keller, uh, I love a story. He tells a story. He says, you know, uh, I was a nerd before being a nerd was cool. I was a kid who was picked last on the sports team, and uh, all through, even through high school, he said I was kind of mocked for being so unmanly. And so he said, I, in, when I got married, I didn't think of myself as particularly manly. And it, it was my wife who would point out, you know, you take, uh, you stand up to peer pressure. You know, you take hard stands, even when a lot of people are against you. You know, I appreciate how you don't, you don't ever threaten to divorce me. You don't ever run from me, but you press in when there's conflict. You know, I, you're so manly. They said it took a while, but eventually he starts, yeah, hey, I'm pretty manly. So, and he starts to think of himself as manly. So it's just a tremendous power that we have as spouses to uh, build each other up and um, to help in the, in the power of Christ to form each other and press each other to greatest, greater Christ-likeness. So if you wouldn't mind, let's just, uh, everybody bow your heads just to, um, be able to concentrate uh, and talk to the Lord. If you're single, I want to really challenge you to prioritize uh, finding, if you want to get married and if you're looking for a spouse, I want to challenge you to prioritize um, a man or a woman who who knows the truth, who walks in the truth, somebody who is willing to change. They've demonstrated uh, a willingness to admit their failures and to change. Somebody who is uh, willing to say, you know what, I'm committing to you. And I know that uh, I don't even know what the future is going to bring, but I'm going to be with you in it. Uh, give up this idea that compatibility uh, means I'm not going to have to change, that they're just going to join me. You're going to have to change. We have, you have no idea what life's going to throw you. But you want to you uh, marry somebody who is going to be with you uh, through thick and thin, sickness and health, wealth and poverty. They're, they're committed to you. No better time than right now to make that 
that decision and begin to pray that God, if you want to get married, pray that God would bring that kind of person into your life. If you're already married, have you given up the, the, the important friendship role of uh, speaking the truth in love? And maybe you need, to, you need to bring that back and say, you know what? Uh, I want, invite your spouse to speak truth into your life and say, you know what, help me be better. And maybe, maybe you're convicted today because you realize, you know, uh, I'm speaking truth but without love. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm, as a result, I'm not helping them. I'm just hurting them. Maybe it's words. Boy, God has given you uh, this power to build up your spouse your words are so powerful. Are you wielding them for godly purposes in your, li- in your uh, spouse's life? What is the net effect of your, of your words in your spouse? Are they feeling more, uh, do they feel more manly or more feminine? Do they feel more godly? Do they feel more uh, empowered or are they beaten down? Now's the time to make a, make a decision in your heart. So take a moment with the Lord and choose. God, your word is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. We believe that uh, doing life your way leads to life to the full. And so we commit ourselves to stepping in the power of your spirit into the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.